at a previous church, I was taking a much-needed day off. I had been really busy and just kind of burning the candle at both ends, various projects going on, and the day finally came when I was going to get away. Do you know what that feels like when you've been working really hard? Maybe you've not taken time off, and finally your vacation comes, or finally the day off comes, and so I was really excited about it. It was wintertime, and Uh, We had recently received several feet of snow in the mountains uh, nearby, Um, and so the the local ski resort, it was was in great, great shape. So I had planned to meet up with a friend of mine early in the morning uh, so we could be there right when the lifts opened. Well, that morning, I was was driving, but I was driving with a purpose. (laughs) I wanted to get to the ski slopes. And uh, really, that's, that's all that I had on my, my agenda. I, that day, I wanted to ski as much as possible, so I was in a hurry. I wanted to get to, to the ski lift. Uh, but as we were driving on, on our way to the, to the mountain, the car that was in front of us, we're in this two-lane road, and the car that was in front of us all of a sudden got a flat tire. It had a blowout in one of its back tires. And, we, and it was just right in front of us, and it's just flopping around, and it, they have to pull over to the side. And, um, you know, just kind of evaluating that experience, uh, I've been in similar situations before where I was driving down the road and I saw someone on the side of the road that needed help. And I had this impression, perhaps you can relate to this, kind of this, this experience of God proverbially, proverbially tapping me on my shoulder saying, this is your opportunity to help, Right? And I know what it's like to fight against that impression. Um, I'm not proud to admit it, but there have been times when I saw someone who needed help, I felt impressed to help that person, but I had so much going on, my, my agenda was so full, I had so many things on my to-do list that I chose to keep on driving and, and leave that person on the, you know, on the side there. Thankfully, on this occasion, when we were driving to the, to the, to the ski lift and this person had this flat tire, I, I didn't do that. I felt impressed to stop and help, and instead of fighting that impression, I pulled over. My friend was cool with that. And as it turned out, the the people in the car, it was a lady and her daughter that were in their car on their morning commute. And as my friend and I, as we walked up to the car to offer our help, I was greeted with, hey, Pastor Brian. Yeah, so several years earlier, uh, I had been actually the the young lady's pastor at a a boarding school. Um, I actually taught her Bible and and kind of had stayed in touch and and knew what was going on. And recently, her her dad had passed away. And so here I was, I had this opportunity, so grateful that God, you know, said, hey, buddy, pull over uh, and help. I was so grateful to be able to brighten this girl and her mom brighten their day. They've been through so much, and here I had the opportunity to just make a difference for these two. I mean, they, they were resourceful ladies. I'm sure they could have fixed it on their own, but it was just wonderful to be able to, to help them on their way. And so we, we got the tire fixed and got on our way. We had a great time skiing that day. But what really made my day, as I look back on that day off, was the decision to set aside my agenda and fix a flat tire. That's what really made my day. Although most of us would, I'm sure all of us, but I'm, yeah, anyway, most people in general would agree 
that loving other people is the right thing to do. It's a right thing to show love. And, and perhaps many of us would feel a desire to love other people. The problem is we can have so much going on, worries that distract us, burdens that we carry, stressors that are driving us, that it's easy to think when these opportunities come up that God gives us to show love to other people, it's easy to think that we don't have the time or we just don't have the energy to love others, maybe later. And as a result, as a result of this way of thinking, we miss out on the best experiences in life. And we miss out on them because they just don't seem to fit into our agenda. They don't seem to fit into our way of thinking. To address this problem, I'd like for us to consider Jesus. I'd like to consider his life this morning. I mean, the Bible makes a very compelling case that if anyone loved well, if anyone knew what it was like to take every opportunity and love other people, it's Jesus. And it's no coincidence that a significant characteristic in the life of Christ is that Jesus as we look at his life, Jesus was humble. Jesus was humble. Humility. So today we're starting a new series. We're calling it Living Humbly. Jesus said when he was on this earth, I did not come to be served. That's not my purpose for being here, but I came to serve. This was Jesus' statement to us. And Jesus lived by this principle. This wasn't just something that he talked about. He lived it every day. He spent his days doing good for other people. We have ample examples of that in the Bible. And we just kind of get this sense as we look at Jesus' life that Jesus was free to love. He was free to give to those around him. Because he was humble. There's this connection between being able to love and humility. So this morning we're going to look at how Jesus was able to do this. How was he able to live humbly? And what is it that God is calling us to do to enter into the joy of loving others the way Jesus did? By the way, as we get started here, I just want to let you know that we have provided some resources to help you get more out of this series uh, if you go to our website, we've provided study guides that go along with each one of these sermons that we're going to be presenting. Um, so this is, a, a, this is our website here. You can go to medfordsda.org, and on the front page, you can see small group study guides. These study guides have been designed for anyone to use. They ask really basic questions that get you to talk, and they're for our small groups. Um, but you might be saying, hey, Pastor Brian, I'm not in a small group. Well, you can use this with your family. You can get with a friend. You can even use it in your own personal devotions. It, it can be used in a variety of different ways. I want to encourage you to, to use that resource. There's something powerful that happens when we talk about the Bible with one another. There, there's a power that is there. We prayerfully do it, and we seek uh, God's blessing. So I invite you to take advantage of that resource. Okay, so the title of the message this morning is Christ's Mindset. We're going to be talking about that. And before we do, I'd like to pause with, and pray. Heavenly Father, I recognize that there is no way that I'm qualified to talk about humility. The moment I do that, I begin to talk about myself, and, and it becomes not about humility anymore. There's no way I'm qualified to talk about Christ's mindset. But I want to thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts right now, that you would break through that we would hear your voice speaking to us and that we would respond, that we would receive it. We would receive the words of life that you give to us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. 
If you're using your pew Bible, it's page 1179. Feel free to use whatever Bible you have, though. Um, so while you're going there, I'd just like to observe that in, in Philippians chapter 2, we are warned about a particular way of thinking that keeps us from loving others. It damages relationships. Paul, the author of this letter uh, to the Philippians, he had first-hand experience with this particular mindset that keeps us from loving other people. As a young man, he had a privileged upbringing, came from a well-to-do home. He was, he was raised well. <clears throat> he had the advantage of being a Roman citizen. He also had the chance to stund, study under the prestigious Jewish rabbi Gamaliel. He had all of these things going for him. Not only that, Paul was intelligent. And he had a bright future ahead of him as a leader in Judaism. But Paul had a problem. Paul was proud. Paul knew, he was absolutely certain, that he was right and everyone else was wrong. And since at this time in his life, Christians disagreed with his way of thinking, he determined to get rid of, him, of, of all Christians. That's, that was his goal. The Bible describes him in this way. It says that Paul was breathing out murderous threats toward Christians. How would you like to know somebody like that? They, they just live their life breathing out murderous threats towards people. Well, there, there are certainly people like that in our world today. But as Paul was going about persecuting Christians one day, he experienced something that completely changed his mindset. It was this. He met Jesus. He was on the road to Damascus. You may be familiar with the story. And a bright light knocked him down. And Jesus himself spoke to Paul. And he asked him this question. Paul, why? At that moment, his name was Saul. Anyways, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul realized what his proud mindset was doing to his relationships. Not only was pride keeping him from loving others, but it was keeping him from loving God himself. Keeping him from loving Jesus, the Messiah. Well, to save us from the damaging effects of pride in our relationships, Paul invites us here in Philippians chapter 2 to have a different mindset. Listen to what he says Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, as you relate to one another, family, friends, co-workers, Paul says, have the mindset of Christ. What is the mindset of Christ? Well, the mindset of Christ goes completely against my natural way of thinking, and I would guess your natural way of thinking. Because naturally we think, we're, we're constantly asking the question, there's this question that's constantly going in the background of our thinking, saying, what is best for us? What is best for me? What am I going to get out of this? How can I advance myself in this situation? But Jesus' thinking was completely different. Instead of looking to advance himself, and listen, instead of looking to, to li live for himself, Jesus lived for other people. It's a completely different way of thinking. He cared for everyone. He even chose to care for people that no one else cared for. He touched the untouchable lepers that everyone wanted to stay away from. He socialized with social outcasts, people that no one wanted to be around. Jesus not only 
greeted them. He not only acknowledged them, but he spent close time with them. He would eat with them. He was known for doing this. Jesus valued people that society shunned. He spent time with them. He he showed them love. And he did all of this with grace and with joy and with perfect peace. Jesus was completely balanced. So today, as Christians and non-Christians alike look back on the life of Jesus, there's admiration, right? I mean, we admire the life of Jesus. You read about it in the Bible and think, wow, this is something special. What a beautiful life we see in the life of Jesus. It's beautiful in every way. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible is saying that the same mindset that actuated this beautiful life, the life of Christ, is something that you and I can have. Listen to what it says. It says, have the same mindset as Christ. Now, it would be inconsistent with a God of love to tell us to have something that is completely out of our ability to experience, right? Right? He's telling us we can have it because it's possible. Now, some people might be thinking, this this cannot, this verse cannot apply to me. I mean, my mind is so corrupt. All I do is think about myself. I I, I come up with all kinds of terrible thoughts that are are constantly coming. How could I ever have the mindset of Christ? Well, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you know, regardless of how selfish or, or proud you might see yourself, The reality is is that anyone can have the mindset of Christ. Not only because God says it, but because it requires no special skill or ability to have Christ's mindset. Let me say that again. It requires no special skill or ability to have Christ's mindset. What does that mean? Well, to illustrate what I mean by that, suppose with me that an army is going to war. They're going out to battle. But the outcome for this army doesn't look good. This army is outnumbered greatly. This army lacks firepower. The soldiers lack skill. They lack training. And to make matters worse, the leadership of this army has never won a battle. They have a They have this terrible track record. They've lost every battle so far coming up to this battle, and they are going out to war. Now, given the circumstances, it's not a stretch to say that victory for this army would be very uncertain, right? But there's one thing that this army is especially equipped to do that is absolutely certain in guaranteeing an outcome. They can do it. In fact, this army is better positioned to take this particular action than maybe a more successful army, and that is this. They can surrender. That's what they can do, right? Absolute certainty. They are fully capable at any point to just surrender and say, hey, let's just not do this. They they can do that. Like, it doesn't take any special skill or ability to surrender. Anyone can do it. And surrender to God is the essence of living humbly. The problem is, although any one of us have the capacity to surrender, we all, it doesn't take any special skill to do it, actually doing it is another matter. Have you ever tried to surrender to God? It's, it's easy to kind of hold on to a little bit. But to, but to surrender is, is, a, 
it's a difficult thing for us to do. Regardless of what you know about God, one, the, the reason, one big reason for why it's such a difficult thing, many of us relate to God as if God was really distant and harsh. Now, we might believe that God loves us, and we can sing songs about him, and, and believe that he is close, but we can relate to God as if he's entirely different, as if he's distant, as if he's harsh, as if he really doesn't want to let us into heaven, and we've got to convince him to do it by, by our good works. But as we look at the life of Jesus, we get a glimpse into what God is really like. We see a story that goes beyond our intellect and, and touches our hearts. Notice what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Please read it with me. This is, a, this is actually a hymn that was sung, so you might see it uh, written a little bit differently. Um, it's not the typical narrative uh, style here. Um, it's, it was a hymn that was sung. Starting with verse 6, look at what it says. Who, being in very nature God... This is what Jesus did. This is what he was willing to do for us. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he was God, but he didn't use that to his own advantage. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. To save us from the consequences of our selfish pride, this, this brokenness that has taken place because of pride in our life, to save us from that, Jesus left heaven, the glory of heaven, and came to this dark earth. The Bible says that he became nothing. He became a human being. This is very significant because where our first parents, Adam and Eve, where they blew it, Jesus came and overcame. If you remember Adam and Eve when they were in the Garden of Eden, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan said, if you want to be like God, knowing good and evil, then take this fruit. And Adam and Eve, even though they were not God, certainly, they wanted to be like God. And so they fell and they took that fruit. And as a result, the relationship between humanity and God, the source of life, was broken, condemning us to death. Here Jesus comes. He is fully God, but he does not use his divinity to his own advantage. He humbles himself and he becomes a human being. He overcame in ways that we have failed to overcome. Through sin, we've become a slave to sin. We know what's right. We want to do what's right. We can have the desire for that. But no matter how, hard we how much we desire, how, how hard we try, we fail at doing what is right. Jesus came, it says in verse 7, he was found being made in appearance, in the appearance of uh, taking the nature, there we go, sorry, verse 7, taking the nature, the very nature of a servant. The literal word there is slave. Jesus became a slave. He served the human race so that we could overcome, just like a slave would, so that we could choose what is right. But he didn't stop there. The Bible says that he died for us, not just any death. He, he died in the most degrading way. He died the death of the cross. Galatians 3.13 says this is, he, he took a, the curse 
that we all deserve to experience. He took that upon himself when he died on the cross. That means that the broken relationship between humanity and God that came about because of our pride, Jesus took upon himself. He was cursed of God. All of these experiences are difficult experiences. To leave heaven, to come down here, to be on this earth, to be limited in the way that he was limited. used to be omnipresent. He, He took on human limitations he lived as a servant. He lived in the town of Nazareth, this backwater town. He humbled himself in all of these different ways so that we could be saved. Here's the point. Loving us was not easy. None of these things are easy. Jesus went against his natural inclinations. He experienced pain. He experienced loss. But he endured it for us. Well, why did he do it? Why did he do all these things? Why did he love us in such an incredible, heartwarming way? Well, we find the answer in a verse that you may be familiar with. Here it is. This is why Jesus came and loved in such an incredible way. It's because God loved the world so much. This is what it means to be humble. Jesus demonstrates that. It's trusting in God. It's surrendering to God. Now, some people might think, I don't want to surrender. That's the last thing I want to do. But surrender is nothing more than this. When we surrender to God, we are simply joining the winning side. And the winning side loves us. If you have any doubt about that, look at Jesus. He gives us this this incredible description here in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. This is what Jesus is like. He gives up everything to love. He stops at nothing. He does whatever love requires. We can trust a God who leads his son to do something like this. This is the heart of God as we look at Jesus. We don't need to be suspicious of God. God gave us Jesus. He emptied heaven for us because he loves us. And he is the one who is calling us to love others. He says, have the same mindset as Christ. Some might think, they're better off trusting themselves. And we, we, we're familiar with that. We're comfortable with the idea of taking care of ourselves, of us trying to be in control of our lives. But let's just consider for a moment, who is better equipped to take care of us? Is it us? Or is it the one who made us? Who owns everything? Who has all power and all resources? When we accept Christ's mindset, we leave our well-being to God. We put it in his hands. And then we're free to do whatever, we, whatever he asks us. We're no longer trying to juggle our agenda. We're no longer distracted by all the things that we feel like we have to do. We're now free to do what he asks us to do when we trust our well-being to God. An outstanding example of what this looks like, to live humbly, is in the, this can be seen in the life of this man. His, his name is Joseph Bates. Um, He is one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it's really significant that one day he decided to do something that influenced James and Ellen White and many others to live humbly, trusting completely in God's care. So early on in in life, Joseph Bates was a sea captain, a very successful sea captain. But his wife, her name was Prudence, she didn't like the fact that For Joseph to go to work, he would be gone for weeks at a time. 
And so after earning his fortune as a sea captain in the shipping industry, he retired and, and stayed, stayed around, uh, stayed at home. Now, Bates believed in the Bible. He was, a, he was a sincere man of faith. So when he heard a man by the name of William Miller preaching that Jesus was going to come back about the year 1844, and he, he heard further that, that this study concluded that Jesus would come back to this earth on October 22, 1844, Joseph Bates said, I'm going to study this out for myself. So he began to study the Bible. He began to, to look at all the passages and prayerfully study this. He became convinced that Jesus would, in fact, come back to this earth on October 22, 1844. And he was so sure of this that he took his life savings and he spent it so that as many people as possible could know that Jesus was going to come back to this earth, October 22, 1844. He wanted to get the word out. I mean, what good was his money after that time? He was certain that Jesus was going to come back. Well, when October 22, 1844 came and went, Joseph and Prudence were bitterly disappointed, as you can only imagine. But not only that, they were broke. He'd spent all of his money. One day after Joseph had spent his last few coins on baking flour for his wife, his wife realized what, what, where they were at. She didn't really know how broke they were, and Joseph was like, that is it. There is no more money in the home. And she broke down. With tears in her eyes, she asked Joseph, what are we going to do? She was desperate. Well, lately Joseph had been studying a topic in the Bible that was profoundly significant, but very few people seemed to know about it. And so when his wife asked him, what are we going to do? He replied to her by saying, uh, I'm going to write a pamphlet on the Sabbath, the importance of the seventh-day Sabbath. That's what I'm going to do. Well, exasperated, <laughs> Prudence asked, okay, that's great, but what are we going to live on? And Bates looked at her and smiled and said, God will provide. Then he sat down as if not having a care in the world, and he began to write. About half an hour into his writing, he felt impressed that he need to go, needed to go and get his mail. He went to the post office and there waiting for him was a letter with money enough to restock their pantry with food. Now, writing a book on the Sabbath when he had no food in his house and he was broke, that might seem a little ridiculous. That may even seem irresponsible. But the reality is, the truth of it is, is that the message of the Sabbath is this, God can be trusted to take care of us. That's the message of the Sabbath. That's why it gets so much airtime in the Bible. God can be trusted to take care of us. It's a symbol of salvation by grace through faith. Every seventh day of the week, God tells us, don't work. In other words, and we might see that as kind of a negative thing, but really what he's saying is, I would like for you to live as royalty. Royals do not work. They're weighted on hand and foot. They don't worry about, you know, their, their next meal. Everything is provided for them. They do service activities. They show up to things. They don't worry about things like 
How am I going to provide for myself? Because that's all taken care of. So God says, live like royalty on the Sabbath. Do not work. And trust your well-being to a God who provides. He provides for us. He can be trusted to take care of us. And this is what we say when we keep the Sabbath. God doesn't say, hey, keep whatever day you want. He says, keep the seventh day of the week. And so in hu- he calls us to humility. We can't be humble on our own. Try to be humble on your own and you become more proud. I've experienced that. It takes someone else. It takes a God for us to be humble too. And so he tells us, keep the seventh day of the week. And this is how we experience humility. We say, okay. It may not be convenient for us. That's not the issue. The issue is, is he in control? Can he take care of me? And do I choose to join the winning side by surrendering to him? Instead of worrying about everything that we have to do, instead of worrying about being in control and keeping all the plates spinning in our life, God invites us to worship him. That is the Christian experience. And to do this, this is the posture of worship where we come to God just as we are, with nothing of value to him. What we bring is problems. What we bring are issues. What we bring are, is just nothing of eternal value. And so we go to him with empty hands, and this is how we go to a God who specializes in providing for us. We go with empty hands because he has all the resources needed to fill us up. He takes care of us. And we go to him with our hands like this because we offer him our hands to serve in whatever way he chooses. We wait upon him to tell us. This is not about us going out and trying to to help other people. This is us waiting on him and him impressing us to go and serve in love in the way that he sees best because he is God and we are not. This is the experience of humility. The self-centered life is a burden The self-centered life keeps us from the best experiences of life, giving love to others, being taken care of by an all-powerful God. And humility is what sets us free from the self-centered life. We're free when we're humble. We find this experience by surrendering to God, by letting him take care of our well-being and devoting ourselves to following Jesus and loving others. This is the mindset of Christ, and this is the mindset that you and I can have today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us how to truly live in Christ. Thank you that you can be trusted. Thank you that you are rich in resources, and you love us more than we can even comprehend. So God, I pray, I pray for the insight to be able to recognize the lie that pride tells us, that we're better off trusting ourselves. Forgive us for that. And may we fully trust you. May we come to you with both hands empty and allow you to take care of us. May we offer you our life today as we go forward from here to love others as you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.